Hey folks, Andy Patton here just after the holidays. Hope you all had an excellent weekend with friends and family. But today is Mailbag Monday and we are discussing Gonzaga's shooting, which former Zag I would add to this roster, and which team I would like to see added to the schedule if COVID cancellations continue to impact the season. All right here, Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. I also want to thank all of you who have made this podcast your first listen of the day, especially those of you who listened through the holidays. I know many people had more days off from work, and I know that commuting to and from work is often a time that people listen to this podcast, so I appreciate those of you who listened through the podcast this last week, especially the Christmas-themed episode last week, which had a short shelf life, but hopefully will be listened to by those of you who maybe didn't get a chance to listen over the past week. Of course, also a huge thank you to those of you who have subscribed on YouTube or who have watched any of these videos on YouTube. You'll see that I finally got a shelf behind me, so it is a little bit less empty in this office. We moved a few weeks ago, so it's taken some time to get it all set up, but it is looking like a real podcast studio now so please if you haven't yet check it out on youtube hit that subscribe button right above the video it's all there locked on zags i really appreciate it also a reminder mostly for those of you who are new listeners if you want to get involved in mailbag monday super simple to do so you can reach out to me on twitter at scorezagscore or at locked on zags whenever you're thinking of a question shoot it my way let me know you want it answered on mailbag monday I'll put it in my notes. I'm always, always touching up these notes. I'll pop it in there. I'll get it in the show. You can also email me at andypatton 13 on gmail.com. That's a great way to make sure you get your, your questions in for Mailbag Monday, your hot takes in for Andy Locks on Thursday, or to just chat with me about whatever things you want to talk about Gonzaga related. I'm happy to respond to emails that way as well. All right, not a ton of questions today, but good for those of you who did ask because you get a little longer answer than you might otherwise. This first question comes from John via Gmail. He says, there is no doubt that Hunter Salas has elite athleticism and is a very good defender. There are so many aspects of the game he does very well. However, he just made his first three-point shot in the last game, and although it is a very small sample size, he is just one for eight in three-point shots, and many of his misses weren't particularly close. As a future lead guard for the Zags, are you at all concerned about his shooting ability? Uh, The short answer is no, but again, as I have promised, (laughs) these will be longer answers for this particular episode. Uh, I did a little bit of digging on this because I had some time and thought it'd be kind of fun. Uh, Kyle Wilcher once went 0 for 8 in a game against Southern Methodist. 0 for 8 just for an entire game. Kevin Pangos missed nine three-pointers in a row once in his freshman season. He went 4 for 21 over a five-game stretch. I could probably go on with multiple other elite three-point shooters. Uh, One for eight is just nothing. It's just way too small of a sample. I also want to be clear here. I don't think that Hunter Salas is going to turn into either Kyle Wiltshire or Kevin Pangos as an outside shooter. 
just pointing out that using eight shots as a sample size, uh, as you alluded to in the question, is a small sample, but it's it's not just small, it's irrelevant. I mean, it's meaningless. Eight shots is really not a, a relevant sample to really determine whether a, a player is a good outside shooter. Having said that, I don't think Hunter Salas is really going to be much of a three-point shooter. Just I just don't think that's a part of his game. I'm not necessarily speaking on his ability to actually do it. I think he is very clearly better than a 12.5% three-point shooter, which is what he has been, obviously, is one for eight. But I, I don't I don't really envision that being something that he like needs to add to his game in order for him to be a successful lead guard. I guess that's kind of the point that I'm making. Gonzaga is going to have shooters around him next year. We, we don't know what's going to happen with Julian Strother. I think he's probably the biggest question mark for next year's roster. But even assuming that he is gone, Gonzaga likely, likely goes into next season with Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, and Dominic Harris as your primary three guards. Harris is a great three-point shooter. We need to, you know, we need to get him back into action. Obviously, missing this season will hurt from a development standpoint, but his outside shooting has never and will never be in question. That is something he is really, really good at and something he will add to this team in a significant way next season. Nolan Hickman, it's more important to me to see Hickman become a more consistent knockdown shooter than it is for Salas. Not because Hickman can't do other stuff well. He, he obviously can. He's a great facilitator, a good passer, uh, good at moving without the basketball, good at getting to the rim, elite at finishing around the rim, a good free throw shooter, a good defensive player. He's an excellent, excellent basketball player. But the three-point shot is a little bit more of something that I believe he brings to the table and something that NBA scouts are really going to be looking for for him. Whereas with Salas, it is by no means a bad thing. The NBA is a shooter's league more than it is anything else these days. And the ability to consistently shoot well from the three will trump basically any other characteristic when looking at a player's ability to contribute at the next level. But I think for Gonzaga specifically, Salas, his primary role will be his extreme athleticism, his outstanding rebounding, and his ability to move without the basketball and his defense. I think he's basically a beefed up, lengthier, better defensive version of Joel Iai. Now, Joel was a good three-point shooter. He shot 36, 37% or so from three. It would be nice if Hunter Salas was contributing at that level, I don't expect him to get up to that mark this season. This is more about his future and the program and likely his future, which could potentially only extend two seasons this season and next season. It would be nice to see him shoot well from three. Obviously, any time you can add somebody who can shoot consistently 37, 40 ish percent from three, it makes your team better. But to answer the specific question, I am not concerned about a one for eight start from three, nor do I think that him becoming a above average three point shooter is necessary, important to who he's going to be as a Gonzaga basketball player. The, the defense, the athleticism, the rebounding, the moving without the basketball, all of that is more who Hunter Salas is going to be as a Zag and as a professional basketball player than the outside shooting. Next question, another one from John, another one on the topic of outside shooting. He says, Rasir Bolton is currently making 43% of his three-point shots. Julian Strother is just under 39%, and Chet Holmgren seems to be more comfortable from beyond the arc and is up to 37%. In his last eight games, he is shooting 40% from beyond the arc, and that includes an 0-4 game against Alabama. We say that this isn't a very good three-point shooting team, but do you think by the time the season ends, we could have three players shoot over 40% from the perimeter? 
Or do you believe that Bolton will regress to his historical mean and Strother and Holmgren don't involve in, improve much and we actually have zero above 40% or somewhere in between? Yeah, I mean, probably in the middle. I think that's a bit of the cop-out answer here, although it is kind of what I believe will be the situation. We're about halfway through the season and obviously WCC play is different in a lot of ways than the non-conference slate, of course, for Gonzaga. Most of their games in the non-conference slate were either opponents that are better than most, or if not all of the opponents that they're going to play in WCC play, like Texas and Texas Tech and Duke and Alabama, or the opponents that they're playing are significantly worse than even the worst teams that Gonzaga is going to play in WCC play. Of course, that would be like your Bellarmines and your Merrimacks and schools like that. So WCC play will kind of even them out a little bit. They're going to play a couple of very, very good teams, of course, in BYU, St. Mary's, and San Francisco. They're going to play some, some easier teams like Pepperdine and Portland. But all in all, it's kind of more in the middle. I think one thing that we are going to see, and I've mentioned this on this show already a couple of times, is I expect Gonzaga to shoot less threes as we get into conference play. The teams that had the ability to really force Gonzaga to shoot from the outside were the bigger, more physical teams. And so the WCC doesn't have as many of those teams. St. Mary's is one of those teams. Matthias Toss, Dan Fotu are both big physical rim-protecting posts who can force Gonzaga to... They can actually bottle up Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren in a way that would force Gonzaga to shoot over their defense. BYU doesn't have that. San Francisco has some size, but not... this. The size that they have isn't quite as talented and the depth isn't as significant as what St. Mary's has. So St. Mary's is probably the best team that in, in terms of being able to do that to Gonzaga. There are a couple other teams that I think are going to try it, but I just don't think they're going to have a lot of success. And Prior to Gonzaga's recent two outbursts shooting the rock, this has been a bad three-point shooting team that has been the most efficient two-point shooting team in the country. They're still that, so I think in WCC play, we're going to see a team that shoots a lot less threes, and I know people are excited about the way that they've shot the three ball the last couple of games, myself included. It certainly does not, it's not a bad thing that they have shot well those last couple of games, but I do expect the total volume of three-point shots to go down, which will change some of these numbers. For Bolton, it actually probably helps his case, because even if he only shoots 36 35% for the rest of the season, which I think is very realistic because that's about his career norm. If Bolton shoots 35% for the rest of the year, but he doesn't take a ton of threes, he probably still finishes the season above 40% because he's at 43 now and 35 for the rest of the year. If his volume goes way up, would definitely lower him below 40%. But if his volume drops, I think he, I think it's reasonable to expect he finishes around 40, 41% from three. Strother is just kind of streaky. 39% kind of feels right for him. I definitely, I, he's, at, he's just under 40%. It's certainly possible that he finished the season above 40%. It would, be, it would be ridiculous to say that that's impossible to happen. It obviously could happen. But I kind of think that this is about where he's going to be. I think he's going to sit right in that 38-ish range. So maybe he gets over 40. Maybe he stays right below it. But either way, I mean, the difference is, is pretty negligible because I think that's just kind of about where he's going to be. And for Holmgren, he'll be an interesting one. I think he what he was great at early in the season was shooting those those transition threes. And he was exceptional at that. And he still is exceptional at that. That has not changed. But now he's starting to show more proficiency taking those threes in the half-court sets. And he was very bad at that to begin the season. Like he was shooting like 17% on three-pointers in the half-court set. Now he has improved dramatically there. That, I think, is something we will see more of in part because it helps 
stretch the defense. It forces the other big man to play away from Drew Timmy, which allows Drew Timmy to work more in isolation, which is a good thing for Gonzaga. And also, Chet is going to be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Whether he goes number one overall hinges significantly on his ability to shoot three-pointers consistently in the half-court offense. I'm not saying Gonzaga and Mark Few should tailor their offense towards what is going to get Chet Holmgren the number one overall pick. That would be a ridiculous thing to do, but it is something that helps Gonzaga's offense because it it forces the defense to respect him from there and, and move away from Drew Timmy, and because it's something he's going to focus on because... As much as his sole focus, his primary focus at least, is getting this team to a championship, it's also pretty important to look good in front of the scouts. And so if he can knock down some of those threes uh, in the half-court set, that's going to help. I would be surprised if he gets all the way up over 40%, but I would not be shocked. I think his his three-point shooting numbers is just kind of the hinge there of how how many attempts he actually takes. Uh, So the overall question, I think probably somewhere in between, I think one, maybe two guys finish with uh, 40 plus percent from three. I'd be surprised if it was all three of these guys. I also don't think that the number of 40 percent three point shooters is necessarily the correct way to measure whether this team overall is a good three point shooting team. It's certainly possible that they are going to end up this end this season better than I had thought that they were going to do, which would not be a bad thing at all. But I do think that we're going to see them take less threes. The the barrage of threes we saw in these last two games is not indicative to me of a changing of the guard in terms of how this offense is going to play. I think we're still going to see them focus heavily on, on getting the ball into the paint and trying to score that way. All right, touched on the team's outside shooting in segment one. Coming up in segment two, we got more listener submitted questions to answer. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bill Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bill Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bill Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Still taking listeners submitted questions for Mailbag Monday. Segment two here is just one question, one excellent question that I felt The easiest way to use this question was to flesh it out for an entire segment because I could probably talk about this for an entire episode if I wanted to. The question comes from Dustin via Gmail. He says, which former Zag would you add to this roster if you could add somebody? Better yet, how about a top five? Better yet, indeed, Dustin, I probably could have done a top 10. I had a really hard time narrowing this down to five. I'm assuming that we're picking the player based on what they did in a Gonzaga uniform. So we're not taking, you know, the NBA version of Adam Morrison. We're taking the collegiate version uh, for all of these players and kind of what style of player they were. Uh, I put in my notes that the biggest needs for this team in my mind are, and I didn't necessarily put them in order, although this is probably pretty close to the order, a three-point shooting, ball handling, uh, just passing in general, aggressive perimeter defense, free throw shooting, and then isolation scoring. And I think that there's certainly... Positionally, obviously, Gonzaga has three really great bigs in Chet Holmgren, 
and Drew Timmy and Anton Watson. And so some of Gonzaga's best players of all time have obviously been big men. And it's really kind of strange. Like you're not going to see Brandon Clark on this list. You're not going to see Kyle Wilcher on this list, despite being one of the best three-point shooters in school history. Uh, or your Elias Harris's, your Kelly Olynyk, your DeMontis Sabonis's. Like those guys are all great, 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 great basketball players. But I, I, I felt that the team's needs didn't necessarily line up with adding a player like that because Gonzaga already has such a rich group of bigs. So I'm going to go five through one on this list. You could argue strongly for any of these guys as the top pick. You could argue strongly for players I did not select to be the top player that should be added to this roster. And I I think there's a legitimate argument for so many of them. In my mind, here's the list. Number five, Nigel Williams-Goss. Nigel Williams-Goss is, of course, a great scorer. He was a guard who could post up, which I think always adds some value and kind of pressure on the defense. He was very good defensively. He was not just a good scorer, but he was a good passer. He was a good rebounder. He was a plus outside shooter, not an elite outside shooter, which is part of the reason he's not at the top of the list. He's about a 36 37% three-point shooter. But he could also play off the ball, and you'll notice that is kind of a theme here with a lot of these guys as point guards who could also play the combo guard position. Because Gonzaga has Andrew Nempard and because they have Nolan Hickman and obviously Hunter Salas as well and Julian Strother, they have a lot of, and Rasir Bolton, of course, they have a lot of guards who can kind of rotate in and out of being the one versus the two. So I think when looking at adding on to this roster, you want somebody who has a little bit more of that flexibility. Having said that, number four is Kevin Pangos. And part of the reason Kevin Pangos is down at four as opposed to being higher is because he does mostly play on the ball. He played some, he had some opportunities to play off the ball in his Gonzaga career. I know specifically during the 2012-2013 season, Gonzaga's sixth man that year was David Stockton and Stockton played a ton of minutes and he played often alongside both Kevin Pangos and Gary Bell. Now Stockton and and Pangos, from what I recall, kind of alternated being the actual point guard versus the guy coming up off the ball. But I know that they had that Pangos displayed the ability to play off the ball, but his, his strength is with the basketball in his hands. Obviously an excellent, excellent outside shooter, a very gifted passer. His assisted turnover numbers were really, really good. So on a team that has struggled with turnovers, has has struggled with outside shooting from their guards, it's really easy to see why Pangos would be a good fit. Those are two of this team's biggest problem areas is turnovers, which again, a lot of the turnovers have been from the post. That's something we've discussed in this show is that People look at Gonzaga's turnover numbers and they instinctively want to blame the point guard. They want to blame Nembhard or Hickman or Bolton or whomever. And while Nembhard in particular has struggled with turnovers more than he has in it throughout his career, a lot of the turnovers are from true Timmy and Chet Holmgren. And that's not something that, that adding Kevin Pangos to this roster would necessarily fix. But certainly the team's three-point shooting woes would be fixed by adding a player like Kevin Pangos. He's a very talented passer. He operates the pick and roll very well. He was very good at making entry passes. So some of the turnovers that are kind of caused from from struggling to initiate the offense and getting the ball into Drew Timmy's hands would be fixed by having a Kevin Pangos on the team. Again, I think his kind of weaknesses, he's not he's mostly an on-ball player and he wasn't great defensively. I think you could mask that a little bit. This team, I mentioned perimeter defense as one of their kind of weaknesses, but they're they're actually pretty good at it. I just think that you you want to be careful not adding players who can also contribute on both sides of the floor. If you're if you're adding a dream player to this roster, you want somebody who can kind of do it on both ends of the floor. Next up, number three, speaking of players who can do it on both ends of the floor, that is Jalen Suggs, an easy choice. We know how he would play with so many of these players because he played with 
Drew Timmy, he played alongside Andrew Nempard for me when looking at adding a point guard to this roster. How that player would be integrated alongside Nempard was a factor that I took very seriously, which is part of the reason it made it very easy to pick Jalen Suggs because he did play alongside Andrew Nempard. They played hundreds and hundreds of minutes together on a team that only lost one game the entire season. So very clearly, two players who are capable of playing next to each other. Suggs, of course, could play both the point guard or the shooting guard. We saw him do both. He deferred to Nembhard most of the time that Nembhard was on the floor because he was more of a pure point guard. But Suggs also played a lot of, did a lot of point guard duties himself when Nembhard was on the bench. He's elite defensively. I mean, really, really elite defensively. Adding him to a team that has Nembhard and Bolton, who are both average-ish Defensive guards, I think Hickman and Salas are the better defensive group out of the guards, but adding Suggs, who's so, so good as an on-the-ball defensive player, he's a good help defensive player. Even right now in the NBA, he graded out as one of the best pick-and-roll defensive guards in the in the entire league as a true rookie, a 19-year-old rookie. So really impressive stuff from him defensively. He's the best playmaker in school history. I mean, he's absolutely elite, out in transition, highlight real player waiting to happen. Again, can play both, both point guard and shooting guard. The only downside to Suggs, is that he's not a great outside shooter. And he's not a bad three-point shooter. He's just not great at it. And that is an area that the last few games notwithstanding, Gonzaga has struggled this year. So adding a playmaking guard who can't shoot to a team of playmaking guards who aren't great shooters does seem a bit suspect. But the level of talent that Suggs would bring to his team outside of the three-point shooting is just tremendous and makes him really hard to ignore as an option here. Number two for me was Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, of course, a very accomplished scorer, an All-American scorer, averaged over 20 points per game, one of very, very few Zags to ever do that. He was an elite, capital E, elite outside shooter, which is a tremendous benefit for this program. And also, similar to Kevin Pangos, not just an outs- a great outside scorer, but a good passer and the kind of the biggest difference for Dickow, I think, as opposed to Pangos, is his ability to play both the point guard and the shooting guard roles. We've seen him do both of those. We saw him do both of those very exceptionally when he played alongside Blake Steph. He, he, Blake Steph, excuse me, he played more of that combo guard role. So I think if you were to look at him on this roster, he could play with Nembhard as the two. He could settle in as the one and have in a situation where Nembhard was coming off the bench, or if they wanted to have Nembhard play off the ball a little bit. Dick out in pick and roll with Chet Holmgren would be absolutely lethal because of Dan's ability to get to the rim, because of his ability to knock down an open three, would just be a, a really excellent fit. I, again, the only thing, not a great defensive player. Again, far from bad on the defensive end of the floor, but not the like big, huge lockdown Certainly not the defensive player that Suggs is. Uh, probably not the defensive player that Nigel Williams-Goss is either. So you take a tiny hit there. But his playmaking ability, his passing ability, and of course his lethal outside shooting ability would make him an absolute force on this roster. And number one, last but not least, I don't think this is a shock. I think he's almost always the player you pick. And he is one-dimensional in terms of offense versus defense. But it's really hard to ignore what adding Adam Morris into this team would do. Uh, offensively. I mean, they would just, it would add such an element. And the three spot is probably their biggest weakness. 
uh, depth-wise. Julian Strother's obviously played extremely well, so it is not that they are not good <laughs> at that position. They are very good there, but the depth behind Strother is basically either going a three-guard lineup, which is not bad, but against some of the bigger teams that actually have a, like legit wings who are over 6'5", three-guard lineups might be a little bit more challenging. Gonzaga could also try three big lineups, which we haven't seen them do this year with either Anton Watson or Chet Holmgren playing the three. But as it stands, they rely significantly on Strother and three-guard lineups to kind of get them through. Adding Morrison would allow them to have more minutes with a more traditional three on the floor. He's also obviously the best scorer in Gonzaga history. He can score in isolation. He can score off pick and roll. He can score off screens. He, he can score. He's a three great three-point shooter, a good free-throw shooter, and was underrated as his ability to get to the rim. He was really good at that. Really, really good at putting the, ball on, putting the ball on the deck, getting to the rims, dunking on people, scoring acrobatically under the baskets, pulling up in the mid-range. He was an exceptional scorer at every single facet of the game of basketball. A lot of people think of him as just a drop-dead three-point shooter, and that's not what he was in a Gonzaga uniform. He kind of got relegated to being that in the NBA in part because he struggled to create his own shot at that level uh, and because in the NBA they kind of just typecast guys so he got typecast as hey you you just shoot threes, you don't really do anything else and then he kind of lost his playing time. But Gonzaga's version of Adam Morrison was not just a three-point shooter. He was a full he, he could score every different way. He could get the ball wherever on the court and could find ways to get open looks. He was extraordinary at it. Now, not a great defensive player. Wasn't a great defensive player at Gonzaga. Was far from a good defensive player as an NBA player. But adding his offensive ability, his versatility, adding him at a position of need on this roster would make this team so significantly better that the defensive shortcomings that having him on the floor would create. Like, yeah, you probably want to play most of his minutes when Anton Watson was on the floor or Hunter Salas was on the floor. You, you, a Nembhard, Bolton, Morrison lineup, even with Chet in the game, is still going to be a bit problematic because it'll, hap- it'll probably be somewhat similar to what Gonzaga saw against Alabama where they had shooters just the guys had the ability to drive and dish to shooters throughout the day. Having Morrison on the team does create more of those potential situations. But if you could imagine the Alabama game, battle in Seattle, we saw Adam Morrison, what he's capable of doing in battle in Seattle. Yes, Alabama probably still scores pretty easily if Adam Morrison plays 35 minutes that night, but I doubt Gonzaga loses because of what he's able to bring on the offensive end of the floor. All right, super fun question there from my guy Dustin. I appreciate it. Always a fun topic. Let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, I know that there are plenty of other players I could have picked. I thought about Derek Rivio. I thought about Gary Bell. I thought about all the bigs that I mentioned previously as well. Of course, Josh Perkins could be in this conversation. Uh, There's so many other players. Jeremy Pargo could be in this conversation. We could go on and on and on. Matt Bolden, Stephen Gray, etc., etc. They could be in this conversation, but of course, I could not talk about every single one of them. These are the five that I picked in the order that I picked them in, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation. Tweet at me, at ScoreZagScore. If you have a take on it, I would love to hear it. Two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer a few more listener-submitted questions to kick off the final week of the year 2021. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online, Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. 
Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Got two more Mailbag Monday questions to answer for this week before we head into the final non-conference game of the season on Tuesday, and then, of course, get into WCC action on Thursday. This first question comes from Derek on Twitter. Derek says, will any Mark Few era Zags make the Basketball Hall of Fame? So I assume that we're referring to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, which does not only include NBA players. It obviously it does include WNBA players. It includes coaches. It includes your international players. Arvidas Sabonis is in that Hall of Fame, even though his NBA career statistically would not be Hall of Fame caliber, but his contributions to the game of basketball in his home country of Lithuania are certainly, you know, make him a Hall of Fame caliber player. So if we're talking about that Hall of Fame, obviously John Stockton is in there, but no Mark Few era Zags have made it. Uh, right now, my gut says no, because it's really hard to make the Hall of Fame. Really, 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 really hard. Having said that, I'm assuming that this question is not referring to Mark Few himself, where if it is, Mark Few himself will probably make the Hall of Fame. There's some question on whether that is actually going to happen because of his incident early this year with driving. Uh, he received a DUI for driving while intoxicated in Idaho. That could potentially slow some people down from voting for him, but my expectation is that he has put together a Hall of Fame career and will still make the Hall of Fame. If we're not talking about him, obviously the most notable example right now in the NBA is DeMontis Sabonis. No players who have come previously in Mark Few's era are going to be Hall of Fame players. Uh, None of the other current players uh, who are older than DeMontis Sabonis, which is really, I think, just Kelly Olenek, not a Hall of Fame player. Sabonis is on pretty good pace. He's probably going to make his third All-Star game this season, and he is not yet 26 years old. Not a lot of, (laughs) there are a lot of players who are three-time All-Stars by the time they're 25, and a good chunk of them do end up being in the Hall of Fame, or at least in that conversation. So certainly he's a part of that conversation. The best chance that Gonzaga has right now, uh, he's had a couple of seasons wasted by really poor coaching where they stuck him out at the three-point line instead of actually utilizing his skill set as a playmaker, a passer, and a rebounder. If he continues to, if he if he finds a situation where he gets utilized more correctly, you know, and coached in a way that that lets him showcase his skills, I could see him putting together a Hall of Fame career. For the example right now, it's hard to make player comparisons at such a young age. But Basketball Reference has a similarity score setup that utilizes that compares players' statistics by statistics based on their age. And right now, <laughs> you could see the different ranges of outcomes for Demontis Sabonis. Two of his comparisons are Mark Aguirre and Rashid Wallace, who are extraordinary multi-time All-Star Hall of Fame players. The other comparisons include Sean Elliott and Wally Zerpiak, who were good, good NBA players, not did not sniff making the Hall of Fame. So he has so many different directions that he could go. But I would be I would I would definitely say that he is on a track that could lead him there. But other than that, it's it's way too early to tell on Jalen Suggs, but he's got some work to do. I mean he obviously he's hurt right now, so you can't fault him for that. But his he has to prove he can shoot 
from the outside consistently and score more consistently to even be an all-star caliber player. And the threshold between a guy who maybe makes some all-star games to Hall of Famer is significant. Now, I've seen very few talented or very few players more talented than Jalen Suggs with the basketball. He's an absolute wizard. He's a incredible playmaker. He's a great, great, great defensive player. So it's not out of the question, but he's got some work to do. Chet Holmgren has not played a single minute in the NBA. So trying to determine whether he will be a Hall of Famer seems very silly and foolish, but he has drawn Kevin Durant comparisons. He's drawn Anthony Davis comparisons. He's drawn Dirk Nowitzki comparisons. Those dudes are going to be Hall of Famers. So Again, if you're already drawing comparisons to Hall of Famers, there's at least an outside chance you're going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Some people anointed LeBron James the chosen one when he was 16, and everybody thought, that's way too early. We shouldn't do that. Sometimes guys live up to those expectations. It's been known to happen. So if Jet Holmgren certainly you know, continues to be a consistent outside shooter, puts on a little bit of muscle, he could be an Anthony Davis type. He's probably not going to be a Kevin Durant type. I always, I always thought those comparisons weren't really accurate to who he is as a basketball player. But a, a rim-protecting version of Anthony Davis is definitely a Hall of Famer. Like There are absolutely ways to envision Chet Holmgren as making the Hall of Fame. Beyond that, Murphy's not done coaching. There are going to be more really high-profile players who come through this program. The only three right now that have, I think, a, a, a lion's chance of making the Hall of Fame are Sabonis, Suggs, and Holmgren, you know, with no disrespect to a Rui Hachimura or a Corey Kispert or Brandon Clark or any of those guys. I just, I don't think that they're going to go in that direction with their careers, but Suggs, if everything comes together, maybe. Holmgren, if everything comes together, probably. Sabonis, if he finds himself in a better situation, I think there's a possibility there as well. And then again, as long as Mark Few continues to coach, they're going to continue to get high-profile players in that program. Definitely could strike lightning and get another guy who ends up uh, you know, putting together a Hall of Fame caliber career. The final question of the show, this one comes from JD via Gmail. He says, with all these COVID cancellations, which teams would you most want to see Gonzaga add midseason? Yeah, I mean, obviously most want to see would be other really top tier programs, but I'd only want to see them add a really, really good t- team if they could secure a home and home, which is kind of was the sticking point with Kentucky a little bit, although there was more than just that when they were looking to add a team. But a team like Kentucky or Kansas or Purdue or Tennessee or, or whomever like that would be really cool if they could secure a home and home either bring them out or go out there and, and play them. Gonzaga obviously has a week this year. It's in mid-February when they, or mid-January, excuse me, when they don't play. I think they, they have a Thursday off because there's just always a gap in the schedule at one point during conference play. It'd be nice to see if they could add a really ca- high caliber team like that. But more likely it's going to be a regional game if they add a game at all just because it's hard to, to suddenly plan a really long trip for either team. So it'd be, in terms of regional games, obviously Washington State would be great. It would be easy to add. They're good this year. They're not great, but they're good. I don't know that I want Gonzaga to add a really great team necessarily, but adding a good team to boost their resume can't hurt. Washington State would be that. It's a regional rivalry. Kyle Smith, former coach at USF, really familiar with Gonzaga and Mark Few. Washington would be fun to just take them down to <laughs> to actually get a chance to play them and beat them. But again, it doesn't really help their schedule all that much. Oregon, doubt it will happen. It never does. But even in a down year for the Ducks, it's still a decent win. I think the Ducks are going to rebound and actually put together a pretty solid season in conference play. So that would be that would be fun. Boise State, 
Uh, they're close by. They're a borderline top 50 team. Ken Palm has them 57th, 9-4 and four on the year. I think these teams should be playing each other more often. I, I would love to see Gonzaga and Boise State play pretty consistently in the non-conference. So if they could find a way to add this game this year, that'd be great. And then San Diego State, because their fans are always complaining, they always want to play us. They think we're ducking them for some reason. They're 44th in Ken Palm, so it'd be a nice victory for the Zags if they were able to add them to the calendar. Um, and not as regional, but again, they're in the Mountain West. They're not that far away. They're a good basketball school. It's definitely a game that could happen. And of course, Memphis, mostly for the memes. Obviously, Gonzaga played Memphis multiple times when they used to have this more consistent non-conference game in the middle of the conference slate. Memphis with Penny Hardaway with Imoni Bates has been a very disappointing team this year, but they're still, when they're on, they're on. And it would be a fun test for Gonzaga to see how that game would go. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got North Alabama at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, so make sure you're ready. You got to, whatever excuse you need to get to get out of work for that day. We're, of course, going to have a preview episode coming out on Tuesday. Recap of the game on Wednesday before we get all the way into WCC play. All right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, and, of course, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. You can also follow me on Twitter at ScoreZagScore and follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnZags if you do not already. Finally, thank you again to those of you who made this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling, and it is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!